is check up by the health forum. Hi everyone, this is Lauren and AJ from the Health Forums podcast, Check Up, Check In. We know that there's a lot happening in the news right now with the Trump administration's repeated attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Understandably, a lot of people are scared of losing their access to health care. In this episode, we're learning from one group that's been fighting for health care access since 1996, COFA Migrant. COFA stands for the Compact of Free Association an agreement made between the U.S. and the Federated States of Micronesia, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, and the Republic of Palau. COFA's become sort of a hot topic in the national health equity conversation. And by the way, when talking about COFA, you might hear us say migrants, communities, or citizens, but we're trying to mirror the language that our interviewees use when talking about their communities, since they're the experts. Returning to two community leaders, Terry Moti and Joe Emlick, who have been extremely active on COFA issues, we also get to hear from Congresswoman Colleen Honavusa from Hawaii's 1st District. We'll even touch on how the U.S. colonial legacy lives on in the food we eat. So stay tuned. Check up, check in. First up is Terry Mote from the Garfield County Health Department and the Micronesian Coalition in Enid, Oklahoma. Terry was born in the Marshall Islands and talks about how his community was exposed to U.S. nuclear testing in the 40s and 50s. 1996 welfare reform left COFA communities in the U.S. without access to Medicaid, even though they continue to pay U.S. state and federal taxes. Terry's a little hard to hear because our phone connection for this interview wasn't great, but we think his story is really important, so we hope you'll listen closely. Thank you so much for joining me today, Terry. I'm very excited to get to know you and hear more about your work in the community. What sort of status did you have, legal status, or what did you use to migrate here? You know, combat, it divine the relationship between the United States and the Marshall Islands, and especially the independent government countries, including Republic of the Marshall Islands, Federated State of Micronesia, and the Republic of Palau. And under the combat, kind of like let, let people from the COVA to come to the States. We don't have to shh. So proof of such as um, green card or visa to come to the U.S. So on the surface, that sounds like a pretty good deal to be able to come to the U.S. and move here and work without visas or green cards or limitations. But can you talk a little bit about the history of what created this agreement between the U.S. and the freely associated states? The World War II took really place in the Pacific Island, but then affected many of us, our countries, and it's really changed our way of, ways of life, even our environment, our, some of our culture, ways of life. Between 1946 to 19, 1958, U.S. Atomic Energy Commission established the Pacific Proving Ground in the Marshall Islands and tested 67 uh, atomic bombs or nuclear weapons. Did you say 67 atomic bombs? Yes, 67, 67 nuclear wow. bombs. So the compact is very much kind of like um, what we did to your country, we, we can do at least something to let you guys come to our state, come to here. Another reason is um, we have one of our highland that, um, atoll that has been, there's the uh, US military program in it 
is called Quetzalcoatl. So it was the relationship was a trade-off for having a strategic military location for the U.S. government. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's my understanding that in 1996, under the Clinton administration, there was a pretty big shift in welfare reform that really affected COFA communities. It's really affect us. We have to, you know, we have to find a job for us to have a Medicaid. I mean, the insurance, insurance from a workplace. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise, we have to go online and buy insurance from the marketplace. Is sometimes is the premium is very high, but then today we don't we are not qualified for Medicaid. For example, in Oklahoma, we don't qualify for Medicaid even though we work and we have deduction from our paycheck, both to the federal and the state. But we are still ineligible for the state Medicaid program. As far as the health of the community, it sounds like there are definite challenges to getting access to preventative care, but. Were there any complications with all of the atomic bombs dropped and the testing that have kind of impacted the healthcare of your community or the well-being of your community? Diabetes is the major issue with us. Other chronic disease that we have that I believe could be linked to what happened um, during the bomb testing. When I I have mom stay with me, she is she will be 79 next year. Every time I talk to her, she is like, you know what? Before the bomb testing, we never heard about those diabetes, you know, high blood pressure stuff, and all those. Because right now, mom is having diabetes. She never had diabetes, but then today she is on medication thanks to Affordable Care Act. That that is why I am. Able to pay for mom's medicines, which could have cost me more than three hundred dollars every month. So I believe everything's as linked or connected to the U.S. nuclear testing in our country. Terry's story was really powerful. Yeah, honestly, I had no idea that the U.S. had conducted nuclear tests on the Marshall Islands. I only learned about it when I started researching this story and talking to Terry. Well, it's probably because the COVID story isn't really out there. I didn't learn about it until I started working at the health forum. But our next guest, Joe Emlett, talks about the work he's doing to make sure people know the COVID story. Some background on Joe: He wears a lot of hats. For starters, he's a senior health policy analyst and community liaison in Oregon. He's also a founding board member of the COVID Alliance National Network. And full disclosure, he is a board member of the Health Forum. He's also a big proponent of storytelling and relationship building. Listeners, meet Joe. Why is COFA access to healthcare an important issue for you? COFA access to healthcare is is an important issue, you know, personally for me because um, I, you know, when I moved to the uh, U.S., I came here and I. Had to go to uh, to see the doctor uh, at the emergency room actually because I was really sick and I had gotten medical bills because of that. Even though I was low income, my income should have qualified me for uh, Medicaid, but I wasn't able to access that. And then until today, you know, years later, I had. 
myself my you know and family members had to also you know see the doctor for some medical needs uh, health care until today I'm still paying paying off those uh, medical bills so that's why it is important for me I also have you know community members and family members who uh, many of them have you know uh, passed away because of uh, preventable chronic diseases that had they had basic access to health care you know they wouldn't have have died so there are a lot of strategies that we use in order to tell our story and be able to get legislation passed but there are a few main ones that I think are very key one of them is to build relationships with everyone now when I mean everyone I'm talking about a bipartisan approach to really intentionally reach out to the other side the Republican side to really talk to them and and see how how we align with a lot of the things that they value and so for instance we are a military strategic location in the world and also a lot of our citizens are heavily recruited into the US military where there are more Kofa Islanders uh, in the US Army more per capita than any US state and and we've been able to bring in veterans who would vouch for you know the Micronesian Islands and so there is uh, kind of that connection with you know some of the uh, Republican leaders in Oregon who who value that military value of the islands. Because we already have kind of a, a good support from the Democrat legislators, we re we're reaching out to the Republicans and we've asked them to be our chief sponsors for our bills at the legislature and they've done that for us. And so we have really strong support from both sides of the aisle in terms of engaging legislators here in Oregon and we've been really successful in getting all of our bills through the legislature with full bipartisan support and so every one of our bills has been passed wow. unanimously our second strategy has been really to tell the Kofa story because it, it really shows the the history of how the U.S. came into the islands, how there were many broken promises, how there's just an injustice. People just don't know why we're here. People don't know why there's this special relationship between COFA and the U.S. And so as we're telling that story and elevating that story, now people not only in the legislature but around the state are hearing more and more that Kofa story. When people hear the story, they can't help but say, yes, we have to help these people and we have to correct this injustice. So some of our other interviewees in this podcast talked about um, some of the reasons why citizens from Kofa uh, countries who are here in the U.S. might have worse health outcomes. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to that? Right. In terms of like the general Kofa Islander health issues, one of the big ones is obviously the uh, chronic diseases. 
Now, there are many different factors to that, but one of the big factors that I say is because of the change in, in our diet since the end of World War II until today, when the United States officially became the caretakers of those islands, there were a lot of federal programs that pumped in processed foods and which really changed the diet for a lot of people. So you have a younger generation, I'm talking about 20s down, you know, to the young kids who prefer canned meat over fish and rice over, you know, taro and breadfruit. And just saying that is actually watering my mouth right now, but like, um, so actually World Health Organization has said that Micronesian islands have had, uh, have some of the highest diabetes rates in all the world. So for some of our less fortunate listeners who might not know what breadfruit is, could you explain? Yeah. So breadfruit is kind of like, kind of like our potato, right? It's kind of our staple. It grows on a tree. I don't know if I, I would call it a fruit or vegetable and you peel off the skin and then you cook it and then you eat it or you can mash it and you mash it and it's like, uh, it's like mashed potato, but it's, it's a little more firm um, than, uh, than mashed potatoes. Can you grow it here in the U.S.? Um, it doesn't naturally grow here. But if somebody comes up with a technique, I'd, I'd be interested in, in finding that out. Okay, so podcast listeners, if you figure out a way to grow breadfruit, <laughs> contact, contact Joe <laughs> Yes. Joe, you painted such a, a very elaborate picture of how food today has really changed from what it's naturally been for these communities. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I'm just thinking for myself how and oh my god and all of these canned foods are such a um, a treat for people yes. nowadays and like restaurants are kind mm-hmm. of appropriating the food to make it seem something really cool uh-huh. but really this has really changed your community's yes. culture and like your the, your overall health right like, can you speak to that yes definitely i mean i i grew up and had my fair share of spam and yeah, we, we like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I, I think that the way people have really accessed foods and been given food has been a, a, a way to really control, manipulate cultures. What I mean by that is that our generation in the Micronesian islands, there is a sense of dependency we need to continue to be dependent on the for instance the united states for this because that's what we not only do we need economically but there's also this physical desire and attachment that comes all the way down to our taste buds and our bellies Mm -hmm. you know aj and i are nodding over here (laughs) colonial legacy (laughs) yes so there is that uh colonialism that really exists even down to the to our taste buds and and what our you know our bellies uh, desire and the way you know aj and i are both filipina american and Mm -hmm. within a couple generations you know i think of spam or canned meats as like an a a traditional ethnic food (laughs) and it's really this imported (laughs) this imported kind of like food that was sold to us i tell you i i bet i have 
I know more spam recipes than you two girls. <laughs> I think spam was the first thing I learned how to cook, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. What advice would you give to COFA champions who are trying to organize at the state level in other states? Mm -hmm. What advice? Here's, here's one advice I will say. Stay true to the story. Tell the story really as it is because we don't have to embellish. If you just tell the simple facts and the, the story, that's really gonna reach people, you know? Uh, and also, you know, resilience. Resilience is, is, is key because, you know, it's gonna test our patience. It's gonna test how we engage people who may not, you know, want to help. You know, people who uh, may see things very differently and wanna keep the status quo. And then the third thing I would say is relationships. I mean, we, we can't overestimate uh, the power of, of relationships. So building relationships with everybody. I've been able to even meet up with and, and be friends with, you know, people like the National Association of Atomic Veterans. You know, I've been able to have really, build really good relationships with people through this, this work, so. That would be my advice. So I'm now both inspired and craving spam. Right? What was most inspiring for me though, aside from the spam of course, was hearing how Joe worked across aisles to pass bills with both Democrats and Republicans. Agreed. It takes some real people skills to work across aisles. Just look at what's happening in Washington lately. But anyway, let's bring it all back. Let's zoom out and get a policy perspective from Congresswoman Colleen Hanabusa from Hawaii. Her biggest concern is that people will forget why COFA communities are in the U.S. to begin with. Here's her take on it. So I think that what we really need to start to look at as a country and as a society and as a community is what is it that we promise and we owe this community uh, that we call COFA migrants. And as you also know, what people, I, w I hope people recognize is that these compacts do expire and then they have to be renegotiated. We also have obligations in terms of foreign aid that we do give them uh, as well. But these are things that, you know, what I'm concerned about is that because we have not been able to bring the status or the, or the the information to the forefront on COFA migrants and what they need and what our obligations are, is that sooner or later there will be people who are gonna forget all about Bikini Island and the nuclear testing and not be sympathetic, or at least feel a sense of obligation to, to the community for what we did as a country. That is my greatest concern. Thank you very much for doing the COFA work. It is unfortunate that, you know, it really is going to become very shortly a major educational task as well for people to know the history as to why we are where we are. And I hope that we're able to do something before we're going to spend most of the time convincing people that this is, this is a right that they have, a treaty right that they have, 
And I think that that is uh, why I really do appreciate the work that you're doing and for taking up the cause of the COFA migrants. So thank you very much. That's all for today, everyone. As always, thanks for listening to Check Up, Check In. If you take one thing away from this episode, I hope it's Joe's advice. Stay true to your own stories. Check Up, Check In is a production of the Asian and Pacific Islander American Health Forum. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at APIAHF and find us on Facebook. Subscribe to our podcast, Check Up, Check In, wherever you tune in.